0: We are so excited to announce something brand new here at Bayshore Community Church. Available now on any of the app stores, either Apple or Android or even Amazon, is the exciting Bayshore Church app for your mobile device. Now this app is chock full of content for you to use to engage with Bayshore. There's a sermon archive where you can browse past messages from both campuses. There's ways for you to sign up for classes, for events, for small groups, there's events calendar so that you don't miss anything that's happening. There's even a Bible reading section where you can get daily updates on where we are reading in the Bible. Also, this app has a great new giving feature, a very sleek and efficient way to easily give anytime you like and also have reoccurring gifts. To so be sure to check out our app, you can go to bayshorecc.org slash app, that's bayshorecc.org slash app, and find links to download the Bayshore Church app. Okay,
1: good to see you guys. We are in our series called The Church, and we have been working through the book of Acts and looking at stuff in the book of Acts and... Every Sunday, people are leaning in, and we're learning, and we're growing, and finding practical principles in the Book of Acts, and just growing in our faith, and it's love, love how this is all going. Uh, Facebook Live is going great. We have people that are listening uh, all over the country. Last week, we had a special uh, listener, Diana Vazquez, from St. Petersburg, Florida, listening. So welcome, Diana. Thank you for listening in Florida. And uh, those that listen listening to our podcast, we welcome them as well. And uh, we're so excited about uh, today's study. Today is in uh, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and it is a great story. We're going to read you the story. Uh, we're going to look at what the story means, and then we're going to find practical principles that are are buried in this, in this story. I love this story. So here it is, Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the great Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to lay on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will return this responsibility over to them, and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the Word of God spread. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem Rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, this is a great story for a lot of reasons because it shows us how to deal with conflict. Uh, and the reason I love this story to look back is this: this story helps us to see the imperfections of the early church. We have a tendency to idealize. The primitive church in Book of Acts. We we just say if we could just be like the church of, in the Book of Acts then, we would be a great church. Well, that's probably true, but one of the things we need to remember is this church was not perfect. This church has had issues. And the reason it had issues is because it had a lot of people. A lot of people and This church in Book of Acts is growing rapidly. Whenever you grow rapidly, you have more people. And because you have more people, you have the propensity for more problems. Now, what's important for us to know is, is there is no such thing as a perfect marriage. There is no such thing as a perfect family. There is no such thing as a perfect church or a perfect company or a perfect country or a perfect government. Anything that has people involved, you're going to have challenges. And so this is the context of this story. The church is growing. It says it's growing. In those days, the number of disciples was increasing. So the church is growing. you have got this, uh, this acceleration, growth. Because you have all these new people uh, that are flooding into the church. There's tension that occurs. And there's some things that have to be worked out. And there has to be some solutions to some problems. And also... Whenever an organization, be it a church, a company, whatever, whenever uh, an organization grows, there, there comes in play the need for new systems and structure to accommodate that growth. So what we see happening in this in this story is the church has been pretty primitive, and pretty simple. It's been sort of you know a group of people, everybody kind of knew each other. And now it's grown, and and now there, there's a need for more structure. There's a need for some administration to keep things going. Now, even though it's organic and the Holy Spirit's moving, and God is doing great things, it doesn't preclude the fact that you still have to have structure where you have the life of God. So that's what's happening in the story, and uh, and the apostles deal with the complaint that's happening. There's a there's complaint. There's a undercurrent of discontent in the church. So the apostles deal with it. And they do a magnificent job settling the problem. They get an A-plus in solving the problem. Now I've wondered about this. Maybe you've wondered about this. Thinking about great presidents. Are great presidents made for challenging times in history? Or do challenging times in history make great presidents? I wonder about that. I wonder if Abraham Lincoln was a great president or if the challenges he went through made him a great president. You know, he didn't know much about government. He was uh, pretty inexperienced. And maybe the challenging times that he went through created greatness in him. And any time you have, uh, as a leader, whatever you lead, your family, your business, uh, your company, uh, your school, your classroom, Whenever you have a challenge in that environment, it's the opportunity for you to begin to grow in your leadership. Because I believe that challenges make great leaders. And so in this this, uh, story, we see the apostles grow in their leadership. John Maxwell said this. He said, a calm sea never produced a skillful sailor. A calm sea never produces skillful to what does that mean the challenges of the sea make the sailors get better at sailing so say this simply: problems will develop me into a better leader so that's the good thing this one so what's happening in this story well it, it, it revolves around widows widows primarily female widows, probably all female widows in this story, that uh, have needs. Now, let's think about, that world was not our world. They lived in a world where there was no Social Security. They lived in a world where there was no pension. They didn't even have refrigerators. You had to get your food every day. So if you're a widower, and you don't have family to take care of you, it's very realistic that you could actually literally starve to death. Because in this, uh, in this world that these women lived in, they needed help when they became widows. Older people there were no nursing homes, there weren't any places to put it. And, and you can think about what it's like for people to age in this environment. And when they lose their husband, a woman in this culture was extremely dependent on her husband. So if husband dies and she doesn't have any family that she said really dire trace. And the Bible says here that the church had a program where they took care of widows. That they were feeding people. That they could not take care of themselves. This is where we learn about how to help people in our community. Because the early church was practical in care for people's needs. They showed one of the great values of this church is we want to take care of people's needs when they're hurting. Every week people come here they don't have enough money for groceries. We help them with groceries. And uh, people come here and they have needs. And our church, we roll up our sleeves and we learn from the church and we help people with their practical needs. Some of you, many of you are involved with in those ministries. And sometimes you don't even know everything that goes on here at the things that you do. A couple weeks ago, we got a call from a counselor, a Christian counselor. Uh, and he called us and he said, listen, there's a man... In the community, that needs counseling, he's cost. He can't afford counseling. He, he's a he's a he's a veteran. He's been involved in combat, and he's had horrific experiences. And has post traumatic stress syndrome, and he needs some help. Would you guys help pay for his counseling? Well, you know, we jump right on that care of him, at East of Council, and he's paid Council And when you give on Sunday, and you're contributing, one thing that for us, we are helping people, because the early church taught us that, that we're supposed to help people that are hurting the <laughs> city Sometimes, this happens. And I don't get up and announce this on Sunday morning. Sometimes people call here, they had a horrible thing happen in their life, and they have a loved one that's passed away, and they don't have any money. They don't have any money for a funeral. And they saw many times as well of comes, up our streets, and we helped people have a memorial service and have a funeral for people. We believe in helping people because that's what the early church did, and the early church helped people. And so they, they had this program where they were helping women. And they were feeding them. It was the first Meals on Wheels program in history. And they're helping people. Now, you wouldn't think there would ever be a problem if you're helping people. But there was a problem. Because there were two groups of widows in the church there were Grecian widows and there were Hebraic widows. Now, the Grecian widows were out of towners, they were people that were raised somewhere in the Roman Empire. And in, in, in Greek culture, they spoke they spoke Greek, and they had migrated into uh, into Jerusalem. Uh, one one particular writer says that people that were older widowers that were older in that community felt it was important for them to go to Jerusalem and to live out the final days and be buried in Jerusalem. So you've got these out counters Maybe some of these people were there from uh, the day of Pentecost and they had families, whatever. But you've got people in that are out counters that are Jewish. The early church primarily was Jewish, not Gentile, and became Gentile later, mixed in. But it was early on, the early days was mainly Jewish people. So we're talking about Jewish people that speak Greek and are uh, exposed to to Greek culture. And they're they're outsiders, they're out of Then you've got the Hebraic widows, and they're people that live in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, and they spoke Hebrew or Aramaic. Is what Jesus spoke. Jesus spoke Aramaic, and he, they spoke Aramaic and they read Hebrew, and they were exposed to Hebrew culture. So you've got two different cultures, and they were there, they're the in towns. They're, the, they're the they're the people that are from, they're the locals. Now think about this thing. Our community is growing rapidly, and we've got people here from the Eastern Shore. They're from the Eastern Shore. I'm from the Eastern Shore. I'm right? from western Sussex County. I went to a party last night over at the Ops Club in Cedar with my high school uh, friends. And we all celebrated our 60th birthday. We weren't able to dance. And we didn't enough to dance. My wife, Michelle, video dance years ago. And, um, and these are all western Sussex County people. They're just good old Sussex County people. And that's me. Good old Sussex County. Now you know, from if you eat scrapple, how many of you here eat scrapple? Raise right? your hand if you eat scrapple. There you go, you're a scrapple so I used to be a scrapple owner, but I got to read the label, and then I could eat scrapple. <laughs> In our community, we got people moving here from Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Washington, uh, New York, uh, they're coming from everywhere because we've got such a beautiful place here. And they're all coming. Now let me ask you a question. First of all, I want to ask you if you are local. If you were raised on the eastern shore. I want to ask you to stand up, man. Stand up. If you were raised on the eastern shore. If you are local. Just stand up. You raised him. You eat strapped. you are local. <laughs> eat. There you go. Look at that, man. Okay. There you go. Now you guys, wait before you stand. You are the Hebraic widows. You are the Hebraic widows. You're the Hebrew widows. Now you guys said them. For those of you, you come here. You come here from somewhere else. guys are the Grecian widows. Grecian widows, so you can be seen. they were being slain. I don't know the answer to that. I think probably they were really being slain in some way. But it doesn't matter because you know, people say, hey, listen, that's not, that's not even true. I always tell people this. You know, listen, it doesn't matter what's true or what's not true. What's, what always matters is what's perceived to be true. If, something, if somebody perceives something to be true, then you have a problem. And so this is what happened in the early church. Now, somehow the Grecian... Uh, Widows weren't getting enough food or they wanted to be treated, or maybe they were serving all the Hebrew widows first because they were locals and the locals were on the board, and the locals were feeding the Hebrew widows first, and on the ground of the food that wasn't enough for the Grecian widows. And so the apostles dealt with the problem because there was a complaint. The word complaint, it says there was a complaint uh, about it, it says they complained against the brand Jews. And the word complaint there is a low it means a low muttering low money. It was sort of underground. Now here's the principle. How can we solve problems when there's difficulties in relationships and families, businesses, churches? Etc.? What does this story teach us? First of all, it says, it teaches us to get the problem out in the open. Get the problem out in the open. The apostles called a meeting. They got everybody together. They said they called all the disciples together. And they acknowledged that they were they got the problem in the open. Listen, when there's a problem in a marriage, when there's a problem in a company, when there's a problem in a church and everything is being suppressed and nothing's really being processed, the problems that are forced underground become more toxic and more difficult. Problems never grow, ne- never shrink when they're ignored. They always grow. And there's some things sometimes that you just got to get out in the open. You've got to get it out in the open. And so the apostles called a meeting. And the meeting was about what everybody was complaining about. They got the meeting out in the open. And progress was beginning to be made. It's important marriage to do this. The other night, here and I, we always uh, kiss each other before we go to bed. We always have a good night kiss. And, and uh, you know, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on the raft. And we don't fight not fight a lot, But... You know, we always kiss the last thing we do. And the other night, I don't know how your night goes, but you know, I get sort of tired for the end of the night and you watch a little TV. You now. you watch an hour and have TV and you get up and you're tired and you So we go to we go you know, try to go to bed, and when we get in the bathroom, you've got to take your, your medication. When you get older, you know, your 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 medication, it looks like a pharmacy. Goes, <laughs> Twenty minutes worth of taking pills, shut that up. So we finally get our pills and brush our teeth and do the, uh, the uh, work bit and do our thing. And uh, we get in bed. And I'll tell you, when I get in bed, I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, I can come. On? I to come. <laughs> and so traditionally, Karen leaves over. And she kisses me, and we kiss each other. So the other night, she, she leaned over there. She said, I'm not kissing you. <laughs> uh, I said, uh, you we not have a problem. There's something going on here. And uh, she said to me, she said, honey, you know, every night I take the initiative, I bend over, and I kiss you, and uh, you don't initiate that. And so I leaned up to meet her halfway, and she pulled all the way away. <laughs> Mark, it's probably the first gospel that recorded the story. as an not indicate what hand it was. But it was a man who had a withered hand that was in a meeting where Jesus was. And you know, if you have a withered hand, I don't think you ever wear short sleeve shirts. I think you always wear long sleeved shirts, and I think you wear long sleeved shirts that are too long, and you can kind of cover up that hand, because you don't want anybody to see that withered hand anymore. So Jesus calls the man to stand up, and the man stands up in front of everybody, and he says, Stretch forth your withered hand. And he stretched forth that right withered hand out in front, and that withered hand was miraculously healed. The principle in the story is that which is concealed cannot heal. So the apostles, when they're dealing with this problem, they get the problem out in the open. They get the problem out of the open. And they admit that there's a problem. They, 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 they don't deny the problem, but they get the problem out of the open. very are a good person. And that, that's found in the story. The apostles could have easily uh, not paid attention to the problem. They could have easily uh, not looked at the issue. They could have avoided it, but they got the problem out of the open. Now, I remember when I was uh, first pastor here and I was very young and there were some problems that needed to be addressed and I remember I was sort of like Marty McFly on Back to the Future. And I do like confrontation. And boy, I kind of let it go on. And I went to this conference in, uh, I think it was in St. Simon's, uh, Florida, St. Simon's Island, Florida. And I was at this conference and Uh, This guy named Hagee. John Hagee. John Hagee was there. He's a good guy. John Hagee was there. And and he was preaching, and he said this at every meeting. Every meeting he said this. He said, if you have a problem in your church, pull it up by the roots and go home and eat it for lunch. He must have said that 20 times. But what I heard him say was, was if you have a problem, you can't avoid it. You've got to get it out of the open. And you got to deal with that. So say this, say this with me: What is concealed cannot heal. Only when you reveal it can it So that's the first thing. The second thing in the story is is the apostles uh, own their position. Now, if if you're trying to you're trying to solve a problem, you got to get out and go. Secondly, you have to own your position, what's important to you. You have to be honest about you, what's important. The apostles said this. They said, it's not right for us to neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Basically, what they were saying was, was we feel like that we're not When it talks about them waiting on tables. It's not that the apostles aren't willing to serve or help and that kind of thing. The word table there, in the Greek, has to do with administrative tables. Handling money, administering something. So the apostles were saying that what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to study the Bible, we're supposed to pray, we're supposed to hear from the Lord, we're supposed to lead the church, and we're not supposed to get involved in all that stuff. And so the apostles, what they did is was they owned their position. They were forthright and they were definitive about what they thought inside. Now, so many times uh, a couple. Uh, you know, trying to work through something, there's a lot of poker going on. Nobody's really saying what's important in it and what their value is and all that. Karen and I have been talking about downsizing, maybe a smaller house. We've been talking about this for a while. And the uh, yard's big, and we got this big house. Sometimes I come home, not where she is. She's in one of those not she is. And uh, so, um, you know, we've been talking about that. And uh, as we've been talking about that, Karen said to me, One day, she said, listen, she said, I'm not ready to move out of this house. I'm not ready to give it up. I love this house. She just laid it right on the table. She was very, very clear about that. I said, no, okay, I get that. This is important. I'm I'm an adventure. Let's do something new. She said, this is what, this is important. This is my family. So when I heard that, it it, it really, you know what, when you have somebody that lays the cards on the table and they say, this is what's important to me. What it does is you're able to then gauge how far you are apart on things. Sometimes you're not that far apart. Sometimes you're further apart. And so we recognized that that's where we were. And I, I said, listen, I can live with it. And I love the house too. So we talked about it. We got that all worked out and settled. And uh, and I said, you know, it's just a big yard and I hate cutting all that grass all the time. And she said, listen, I love love to watch that handsome go headed man out there on the corner. I said, well, that's That's doing it for you, baby. I'm going to do it. (laughs) Listen. The apostle said, this is important to us. And some of this company, you need to know this is a non-negotiable. This is important to us. So in your Relationships with each other, working with people. I know when I talk to our team, uh, the church here, and our our our, our staff, and, and all that. You know, listen. Oh, you know all that stuff. You know, and the lights, and we all we talk about stuff. There are certain things that are are non-negotiable, and that is that is preaching the Bible. Uh, we're going to do it cool and trendy, but we're never going to we're never going to duck. What the Bible says. We love the Bible. We love Jesus. And uh, uh, the, the, the methods may have changed, but the message is the same. And I believe in the scripture. And my team knows that. They know that, hey, listen, we're going to be faithful to Jesus and faithful to the word, regardless of what comes and what kind of pressure comes. I <laughs> don't Apostles, they got it out in the open, and then they—they didn't—they didn't pretend to say something that wasn't in their heart. They didn't pretend that they were for something they really weren't for, and they were honest about that. And that's very, very important. We do that. You can't have real progress without honesty about where you are. The couple kind of real quick things here. Uh, the whole meeting uh, that they had, the meeting and the people were able to express what was going on, communicates to uh, to this to this principle that that in order to solve problems, we have to listen to each other. We have to listen to each other. The apostles didn't put their fingers in their ears and hum and pretend they didn't hear what was going on, they listened. Now here's something I'm real important I'm about to say right here. Listen to this. Listening equals validation. Listening equals validation. Say it with me. Listening equals validation. What's important, you may not always be able to give people what they want. You may not always be able to uh, give them you know, exactly what they want on things, but if you don't listen, if we don't listen to other. We don't validate each other. And so when people are upset about something, and they come to you, and your kids come to you, or somebody in your company comes to you, the most important thing is learning to listen to them, because listening equals validation, and what people always want is validation. They want to be validated. It needs to be sincere. It also "Let love be sincere. So, for instance, if your kid wants a tattoo, and you're not over your dead body, they're going to get a tattoo. Now, our kids learn tattoos, and Karen told the kids, you know, that they, they can get a tattoo when their grandmama died because she was not going to listen to that. Um, but they never did, so that so, whatever. This is not about tattoos. But anyhow, I got Anyhow, just say they want a tattoo, or they want to put a bolt through the nose, you know? And you just say, have you lost your mind? Have you lost no! You just lost the battle. You've been validated. Here's what you should say. You know, there's not a chance they're ever we're going to have you in your house. Maybe that's your position. I'm not going to come bolt through the nose or whatever. You're not like that. But you say, tell me why. Tell me why that's important Why is that important to you? And you listen. And you still may not get them the but you validate them because you listen to them. When I was in high school um, back in the late 60s, early 70s, actually, high school in the 70s.
0: Long hair was the deal.
1: Everybody had long hair, sticky thing. Anybody here who used to be a heavy race used to be a heavy had long hair. You know, you know, that was me. I mean you know that was my generation. And I wanted to have long hair. And I had this conflict with my dad about that because my dad was a preacher He wanted me to be safe and shaved. And he didn't want me to have <laughs> long hair. I can't tell you how many arguments we have about that. What could have been really a good way to handle that would be, my parents are great, amazing, but they were living in that generation. But what could have happened was, Danny, hey, why, why is that such a big deal? Why don't you scope with that? Listening equals validation. Say it with me. Listening equals validation. So when somebody comes to you and they've got a complaint, you say, listen! Help me understand this. And the apostles—they gathered everybody together, and they listened. And people could express what they were struggling with, and listening equals validation. And in this story, they were able to take specific action to do something that would make a difference. And so they took specific action, and they put a team together, which probably became the, the 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 original deacons in the New Testament, perhaps. And they had this team of administrative people that took care of that, and they took action to solve the problem. And when you can take action to solve the problem for somebody, it really, really helps that whole problem develop. And so they're able to do that in that situation. Very important. Important principle action matters to people. And uh, the other day, I was in the yard with my granddaughter Willow, or not Willow, it was Nora. She was in the yard, and we had a uh, a oak tree in the backyard, I a swing on it, and I pushed the kids on the swing, and uh, we were down on the swing, I'm walking by, we have a sandbox I had for the for the great kids, and somebody at the church made it, it's so little, little chairs so they can sit in, a little bench, and, and it's really cool. And I didn't have any sand in it this year, and uh, I said to Nora, I said, hey, um, Papa's got to get some sand in there for you for next year. And she looked at me, and she said, Do you promise? Do you promise? But she caught me completely off guard. You know, I was probably just saying that at that point. (laughs) I'm going to get some sand. Because action says I need it. I want to help you. I want to help you. It makes a difference. So, later today, we had the whole family over at the house and we were. And so we were playing normal and having a good time. And then after everybody left, I-, I couldn't find my flip-flops. I had these, uh, uh, these croc flip-flops. And uh, so it was like the next day. or two. I couldn't find my flip-flops anywhere. It's like, Where, where'd they go? But in the back deck, somebody had left flip-flops there. And I thought what had happened, somebody had taken my, had taken my croc flip-flops. And uh, they had, you know, left theirs in place. And I had kind of big feet. I had big feet. Neither. Size 12 those are an So anyhow, I think so. Uh, so I took a picture of these little flip flops. They like look like they're like size seven or eight. I took a picture of them and uh, sent them to Tim and to Joel. I said, "Listen, if you happen to leave your flip flops here and take my flip flops." And uh, by mistake, and they sent me a text back, no, dad, we didn't, we got our flip flops. And Dave Kerr was staying with us, so I sent him Texas, did you have anything about flip flops? No. So they were just missing. I just left those flip flops out there, and I thought, well, I guess I'm lost to the big croc flip flops. I love those croc flip flops. They're amazing. So um, so one day I was out there, and I I just happened to pick them up. I looked at a were croc flip flops. I turned them over, and it was size 13, which I wore. What had happened? They'd been left in the sun and they shrunk. They shrunk. <laughs> up. I, I, I tried to put it on It's like I couldn't like get my, my, my toes in. It's like they were tiny. So I take the croc flip-flops back to the croc store in Rehoboth, the croc island there. And I walk in, I said, I'm sorry, I'm just gonna ask this, you know. I showed my little baby flip-flops. <laughs> and I said, uh. You know, is that, is it, are these supposed to do that? Are they supposed to shrink out like that? She said, Well, sir, I'm sorry. You know, the only receipt that says not leave them in the sun. And, and she showed me a sign there by the cash register. Please don't leave your crop flip flops in the sun. I said, Oh, I'm sorry. I said, Well, I didn't know. I just thought I'd ask. I thought maybe there's no warrant or anything where I can get a new curb flip flops. She said, No. I said, Well, that's okay. I started walking away. She said, I don't go anywhere. She said, I want to get the manjack and see what we can do with the manager. Out there, they're all looking at my little mini flip flops.
0: <laughs> and the manager said, Listen,
1: get yourself some flip flops. You know, I know you're stupid doing that, but it's fine. Some flip flops. Mean, whatever flip flops you want. So, you know, like they were in the back room trying to find flip flops for me because I got the big flip flops. And I got a new pair of flip flops, a new pair of
0: cropped flip flops. And I'm like, Right now. <laughs> so I'm gonna buy
1: more shoes, cropped shoes, crocs. Well, I'm gonna them on my clothes and have a whole bunch of them. You know, I've been trying to say that joke, but it never works for me. Sure <laughs> but this story of the apostles is that story. It's that story of handling the problem. Caring about the people that are involved in the problem and bring that problem to a positive solution. So say this with me get the problem in the open. Uh, Own your position. Listen is validation. And when you can take action. Hands to the Lord this morning. Aren't you so glad that our God took action? He promised us His Son and He sent Jesus His Son to die for us. The Bible says in Romans 5 8 that God demonstrated His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, Father, we thank you that you have modeled through your own love for us, taking action, taking our needs, and being your. So we pray that you'll help our marriages, help our companies, help our relationships. Help us to learn from this story so we can, we have, we can have healthy and positive relationships. And we thank you, God, for this wonderful story. Really, church. Holy We thank you that as a result of their wisdom, that the church continued to grow and you continue to move. We ask your love and grace upon us. In Jesus' name, everybody, said, amen. And amen. We love Jesus. Name, amen.